let's talk science. From the University of Groningen, this is MindWise podcast, hosted and brought to you by psychology students. Hello everybody, my name is Marcella and today with Nikolai we'll be talking to Marcus Aronin who gives a lecture in our Controversies in Psychology course. We'll be talking about reductionism and as the lecture was titled Ruthless Reductionism, what implications it has for how we do science, uh, specifically for our discipline psychology. Uh, but first of all, I'm going to ask Marcus to introduce himself just a bit. Okay, thank you. Uh, so. I was recently appointed as an assistant professor here at the Theory and History Department in the Psychology Department of the University of Groningen. And uh, before I came here, I worked in Belgium as a postdoc and I did my PhD in Germany. I originally studied in Finland in Helsinki. And I work on philosophy of psychology and philosophy of science more generally. Thank you very Thank much. You. Nowadays, there's a lot about reductionism in the scientific literature. Could you give us a short definition of what reductionism actually means? Well, yes, it's difficult to give a concise definition, but I can give a characterization of uh, reductionistic ideas that are often associated with it. For example, the all psychological phenomena are in the end just brain phenomena or biological phenomena. That's a reductionistic claim. Or all uh, mental disorders are just brain disorders, or that we can explain everything uh, based on the brain, so in the end uh, neuroscience will assimilate psychology and we will not need psychological explanations anymore because we can explain everything based on the brain. Those are kind of the core ideas of uh, reductionism. But it depends on who, which reductionist you ask. There are many different degrees and different claims uh, associated with it. So as the lecture was already titled Ruthless Reductionism, some psychologists or psychology students perceive it almost as a threat how psychology is overtaken by neuroscience. Could you give us some good, valid reasons that we can bring against reductionism? Well, yes, I think there are many good reasons against reductionism. For example, uh, if you think about how we nowadays explain human behavior, we cannot do much based on neuroscience or brain research yet. All good explanations for what we do and how we act are still based on psychology and our beliefs and motives and desires and things like that. So in the foreseeable future, it doesn't look like neuroscience will be able to take over this and give us uh, good predictions and explanations of human behavior. Going through the literature, I've seen or I've read the argument that it's a matter of time until neuroscience can explain uh, and incorporate um, all the psychological concepts into a more um, broad and evidence-based theory. But that seems a bit... Optimistic. Perhaps. Optimistic, but also how can we talk about a reductionism if we don't have something to reduce to? Indeed, if we look at the history of science, we can see many different uh, cases where an older science was replaced by a newer science, such as uh, Newton's physics was then later replaced by Einstein's physics, and now we don't really need Newton's physics, or some people argue for that at least. But in the case of psychology, 
it's, it's not clear that it's a similar case as, as in those cases of physics because what psychology is doing is, and explaining seems to be a bit different than from what neuroscience is explaining. So explanations of neuroscience describe us how the brain works and uh, kind of a biological basis of cognition, but it doesn't really explain uh, psychological, at least currently, it doesn't explain very efficiently psychological phenomena such as uh, problem solving or orientation or uh, spatial cognition or stuff like that. It is still very prevalent in literature and in scientific debates to just phrase psychological problems and issues in biological terms. So, for example, just replacing mental illness with the words brain yeah. illness or brain disorder. In what way are these changes affected by scientific advances or by political debates? Well, I think they are based on scientific advances in the sense that we ha there has been huge progress in the uh, in brain science in recent decades. Nobody denies that we can now have fMRI techniques that we can use to study and image mental disorders and so on, and lots of other. We have found medications that affect uh, biology and help uh, people with mental disorders. So uh, there is a there is a case to be made that uh, they are in some sense brain disorders, and nobody is really denying that that mental disorders are based on the brain in some some sense. But uh, the thing is, can we actually explain how mental disorders occur and how they come about based on the brain? And how can we actually help people based on this information uh, on the brain? And that is currently at least uh, not the case. Regarding if it's political or scientific, uh, well, there is, uh, of course, these things are always mixed. And these scientific things have a lot of uh, consequences. There's, of course, huge uh, competition for research funding, and a lot of funding is now going to fMRI and uh, brain-based research. In that sense, uh, these are not just uh, isolated uh, scientific uh, issues, but also related to science funding and science policy. Do you think if we take out the bureaucracy aspect of the debate, there is still good grounds for why uh, psychology should be reduced to neuroscience? Well, I think even if we take the whole policy aspect out of it, there is still a kind of an important scientific question behind it, namely what is the best way to explain human behavior and human cognition? and uh, Some people argue that the best way to explain it is based on the brain, and some people argue that the best way is to explain it based on psychology, and that's partly an empirical question. Where do we find the best explanations? Where do we find the kind of variables that we can use to best explain and predict human behavior and cognition? So that's not a political question, that's a kind of a scientific, uh, partly empirical question that will be solved uh, as science progresses. And there are different uh, predictions that people make, and. I, for example, would predict that also in the future we will find that the best way to predict and explain human behavior is based on what we call the psychological level and not based on neuroscience. Do you think that in that case the neuroscientific advances that have been made so far will come to complement the psychological con constructs and how we uh, define uh, mental disorders? Yes, absolutely. So I do not think that uh, brain research is in any way useless or unimportant. I think it is uh, just as important as psychological research. So we should indeed keep doing both, both studying neuroscience and studying so-called traditional psychological methods. So they are just uh, looking at different parts of the same uh, big picture and different levels of the same uh, whole. So uh, we need both and we need to continue doing both and they should be integrated and also Uh, neuroscientific findings can also help and benefit psychological research. It's not that they're completely disconnected, just that we should not neglect the psychological part. So if we take both perspectives, that will also lead to the problem that 
neuroscientists will frame disorders in brain terms and psychology psychologists will frame disorders in mind terms. In what ways are these names or this framing impacting the way that we view, approach and treat patients? That's also a very good question. I think it does matter because if we frame things in the brain language and biological language, then it kind of suggests that we should treat people more based on medication and we should look at the genes underlying these mental disorders and we should have a more medical or biological approach to treating mental disorders. And if we take a more psychological approach where we focus more on the symptoms of mental disorders and the kind of subjective experiences of patients, then it seems that it would be more useful to intervene on those uh, symptoms and experiences, for example, with the means of therapy, talking therapy. It doesn't rule out that we could also use medication, but and probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. Maybe we might need both, but indeed how we formulate these things has a big implications, not just for science, but for also for how we treat people. Talking about implications of framing brain disorders or other psychological concepts in neuroscientific terms, how much part do you think is a scientist's duty to think ahead about the implications that um, his or her papers framing of, of these psychological concepts have on society and how society perceives this debate. So I think when scientists do research, the primary goal, of course, should be to find out the so-called truth or to get to the real uh, objective view of the matter. But I think it's especially important when writing and the papers and how to formulate things and uh, how to communicate to the general public. Uh, scientists should be aware that uh, things that they say could be used or misused in various different ways. So if a scientist uh, talks about uh, mental disorders as being brain disorders and considers this to be completely scientific and objective, then he or she should be aware that it uh, might not be perceived in that way in the media or by the general public. It might have consequences that are unintended. So it's important uh, not when making science or doing science as such, but when communicating it to the broader audience, I think. Um, I think the more that neuroscience is advancing and, and claiming grounds, the more common it will be in public also to think about brain terms and to, in a sense, see our own free will as threatened or probably even see our lives determined by our brains. What implications do you see from these neuroscientific uh, developments for our society and for problems of accountability and free will? Yes, well, free will is of course a huge debate and philosophers have been thinking about free will for like 2000 years now at least and haven't solved the problem. And also the, always the question has been how do we reconcile the kind of deterministic mechanistic world with our feeling of free will or experience or ideas of free will. So in that sense, the fundamental debate hasn't really changed because it was always about if the world is really mechanistic and objective and predictable, then how does free will fit into this picture? But what has changed now is that with neuroscience, we get more insights into the kind of uh, decision-making processes and feelings of agency that people have. And we can more clearly see that uh, when we thought that some decision was uh, made by, by our conscious mind, it was actually made by some unconscious brain process. And, that those are very interesting findings and I think they do have implications for how we think about our agency and our, our decision-making. But I do not uh, think that the fundamental problem of free will, I think it's more a philosophical uh, abstract problem that's uh, not going to be solved by neuroscience. People either think that we have autonomy, we're independent creatures who are able to make their own decisions, or there's some uh, underlying brain mechanism that does it for us. Yeah. Why do we have to perceive those things as mutually exclusive? 
Yes, that's a very good uh, question and many philosophers and thinkers argue that we should not, that you can have both. I mean, even if we are biological beings who are uh, governed by these uh, biological mechanisms, we can still have some kind of uh, free will that fits into this picture. It's called a compatibilism, that free will and uh, determinism are in some sense uh, compatible. It's just uh, depending on how we think about free will. So there is obviously going to be differences in how we reduce one phenomena to another. Um, but do you think psychological reductionism to neuroscientific terms would be very much different from reducing term uh, other theories in natural sciences? Well, it is. Uh, I think it's a bit different from the kind of uh, traditional cases of reductionism, like when Newton's theory of physics was reduced to Einstein's physics because those were theories that were trying to explain exactly the same thing, and then we got a better theory that ex explains exactly the same thing, for example, gravitation, in a better way, and makes more accurate predictions. But we don't really seem to have this situation in psychology, because what neuroscience ex is explaining seems to be different things than what psychology is explaining. What we can do with uh, cognitive psychology at the moment is very different than what we can do with fMRI research. So one could argue that they involve different uh, levels, so to speak, and they have different uh, domains of application. Just like we don't, uh, or few people argue that we will not need evolutionary biology anymore because we have chemistry, that seems kind of a strange claim to make. So in the same way, uh, psychology and neuroscience could be said to be two complementing uh, things that we both need and will always need. Just like we'll always need evolutionary biology and chemistry, it's not like one will replace, will replace the other. When thinking about psychology and neuroscience, it sometimes gives the impression that these are different parties or different groups which compete with each other and try to yeah maybe get crowned from the other field what can we do to reconcile these fields yes that's a very good question also during this interview i might have given the impression that there are really two distinct things there's on the one hand psychology and on the other hand neuroscience but of course there's already now a lot of collaboration between psychologists and neuroscientists and psychologists are con constantly using neuroscientific results to support their claims and the other way around. So there's a, there are fields like cognitive neuroscience that somehow overlap both cognitive psychology and neuroscience. So I think they are not and should not be distinct. So they indeed should be seen as an, in an integrated picture where we explain and try to explain the human mind at different levels. So for example, if we think about memory and human memory, how it works, we need cognitive explanations that are describing how humans uh, uh, memorize things and solve memory tasks, but also need explanations based on the uh, interactions between brain areas and then also molecular or neural explanations that describe the mechanisms at lower levels. And these are all parts of the big picture that we will need in the end to understand the phenomenon. I think one argument um, in favor of this claim and thus against reductionism would be that a lot of the neuroscientifical um, research and, and findings, for example, finding out a brain circuit that um, is noticed or is overactive in depressed individuals is necessary but not sufficient to explain depression? Yes, uh, indeed, when scientists find out that there is a brain area that's correlated with a disorder or some psychological phenomena, they often claim that they have found the basis for this phenomena or an explanation for it. But uh, that's not really the case usually, because what they have found is that there is some brain area that is correlated with this uh, psychological phenomenon or disorder, but you cannot really explain this disorder phenomena based on that uh, 
uh, brain area for this correlation. We all know that correlation doesn't as such imply causation. So it just means that there's something going on in the brain when people have this uh, psychological uh, phenomena or disorder, but it doesn't explain why that uh, phenomena occurs and what its features are or how we could actually treat it. So there's a kind of a gap, gap here. Considering that mind is not a concept that can be observed in space, do you think there is ever a possibility for us to solve this debate? Well, I think that the fact that the mind cannot be directly observed is not really an obstacle to explaining or understanding the mind. Because if we look at other sciences, they also treat uh, with phenomena that are not directly observable. Like in physics, scientists are trying to understand black holes or dark matter, even though we cannot directly observe them. So, and in psychology, what we try to do is use these things that we can measure directly or observe directly, such as uh, questionnaires or brain scans or talking to people. And based on these, we try to infer a picture of what's going on in the mind, so to speak. So we try to construct the unobservable based on the observations, which is very common also in other sciences. So that's as such, the fact that we can directly observe the mind is not really an argument uh, in favor of reductionism or in favor of uh, brain science. But sometimes it seems like it is um, an argument in favor of reductionism because people want evidence-based conclusions, right? Yeah, it might seem that indeed if we look at the brain, it's somehow more objective basis for understanding, more direct basis for understanding psychological phenomena. But if we want to understand something like depression or human problem solving, then the brain scan is still an indirect measure of that. We are still using some, what we really want to understand is how depression comes about as a psychological phenomenon, why people uh, feel sad and uh, have pessimistic thoughts and so on. And the brain uh, scan is just as indirect measure of that than is... Uh, filling a questionnaire or talking to people about it. So the fact that it's a kind of a, gives only the illusion that we're doing something more objective or more direct, but it's still indirect regarding to what we actually want to explain. What are psychology's and neuroscience's perspective on goals like achieving ultimate truth or doing good for people? Do those goals differ? And if they do, should they? Well, that is a very good question, because indeed psychology seems to have this double role. On the one hand, we want psychology to help people and to cure people with, uh, and to make them learn better or to help them with their mental uh, ailments. But on the other hand, psychology also tries to explain how we work and how the nature works and uh, how, why we do what we do. So in a similar way, I think we should see neuroscience as having a similar double goal because we should not only be interested in understanding how the brain works but also what we can do with it to develop better uh, uh, treatments and to make people function better in society. So I think they both both are sciences that deal with human beings and so they both should have these kind of elements. And I think to a certain degree it's also the case uh, at the moment. Thank you very much then for the interview. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Thank you. This podcast was a production of MindWise for the Department of Psychology at the University of Groningen.